Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. I realise that I've spoken and indeed written a couple of times about the forthcoming tax changes. One potential solution to these changes that has been quite widely shared, including by me on this podcast, is the idea of investing through a limited company. However, as we shall discuss today, one size does not necessarily fit all, and so switching to a company ownership of rental properties may not suit everybody due to their personal situation. Today then, we're going to consider no less than 10 different scenarios where investing in a limited company may not be all it's cracked up to be. Here we go then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Ever since the introduction of the Finance Bill 2016, and in particular Clause 24, there's been much interest in the idea of investing in buy-to-let through a limited company. And as a quick reminder, Clause 24, which has a, a few public nicknames such as the Alice in Wonderland tax, the turnover tax, and indeed the tenant tax, essentially means that mortgage interest deduction for tax purposes is changing. Right now, any buy-to-let investor is able to fully offset their mortgage interest payments against their rental income to arrive at a net profit for tax purposes. And this is consistent with normal and indeed long-established business practice for the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker. However, Clause 24 has changed the way this will work from tax year April 2017 to 18 for all buy-to-let investors using their personal name, be that as an individual or through a partnership. So from next April, the following changes will be coming into effect. First of all, mortgage interest will no longer be allowed as a pre-tax rental income deduction at all. And and, uh, this is uh, one reason why the change has been termed the revenue or turnover tax as it means an essential business cost will not be allowed to be deducted before total revenue is calculated to establish the highest tax bracket. In short then, this could push people into a higher tax bracket, including modest earning basic rate taxpayers, despite no other change in their circumstances at all. Second, it will be replaced by a relief instead and this relief will be calculated and used as an offset against the final tax payable for the year. However, the relief will also be capped at the basic rate of tax, regardless of what tax bracket and tax rate we actually fall under. Whilst it will be phased in gradually over four years from next April, it will mean more tax to pay each year than now is the case. 3. The tax is due no matter what the net paper and cash profits of the rental business are. This essentially means that in some cases, some landlords will actually be making low or indeed no post-tax profit at all, and in fact actually a cash loss in some cases. 
uh, on their property businesses. And yet they'll still have to fork out for this tax bill out of their own pocket. And of course, it could lead to negative cash flow in some cases, as I've alluded to. So this will have a significant effect and impact beyond the apparently small numbers predicted by the government, I have to say. One of the most talked about solutions, however, is to incorporate the property investments into a limited company structure instead. Indeed, a recent National Landlords Association survey placed the number of existing landlords considering this move at 40%, so almost half, although less than 1% had actually done it at the time of the survey. And there's a simple explanation for this uh, lower conversion rate into limited company structures. It just might not be worth it for everybody. Or in other words, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. I previously talked about what I like to call my danger list of potentially affected property investors in a recent YPN article. And you can find a link to that in the show notes if you like. I've also since recorded a a short video explaining this, so check out the show notes for both of those links. Essentially, however, the danger list is a a set of potential circumstances when it would be worthwhile, at least, to consider investing through a limited company instead of through our own names. Well, this is not a clear-cut exercise, as I shall now reveal. So in this particular episode today, we're going to look at some of the situations when it might not always work out better to invest through a limited company structure. I'm going to go through a list of 10 now um, situations where it may not uh, always be the case. And of course, some of these are interrelated, interdependent and need to be taken in whole. The first one is basic rate taxpayers. So this is when the property owner or owners are still basic rate uh, taxpayers, even after the effects of Clause 24 are taken into consideration. And this may be also the case, um, or this rather may be the case for lower rental income and or combined rental and other sources of income property owners. In other words, lower income type of of, uh, earners. Even in situations where a couple, say, own a property and only one is a basic rate taxpayer and the other one potentially is a higher rate taxpayer, it may be possible to elect to share the rental income in unequal proportions in favour of the lower rate taxpayer to legitimately reduce the tax bill. The second scenario that uh, I wanted to point out is uh, in the case of low leverage investors. So if we have a low loan-to-value or indeed low mortgage balances, then the changes might not actually have such a dramatic effect even after watering down of this uh, relief change. Third, the investors needing the income. Switching to a limited company certainly reduces the initial tax deduction. However, it does not eliminate the personal income tax altogether for higher-rate taxpayers. Keep in mind that even when using dividends to distribute profits through a limited company, that this is also being changed and it's going to be capped at £5,000 per year at the basic rate of tax going forward. Additional dividends will still attract an increased tax charge for higher rate taxpayers, for example. Whilst this should still reduce the overall tax bill by allowing full interest relief within the company, when added together with some of the other changes that are listed here, it may not always work out best. For example, if we already have a reasonable amount of, uh, of dividend income um, this, you know, through other sources, this may not uh, be such a massive benefit after all. Next, if we intend to flip the property sooner rather than later. 
When we think of investing in property, we often think of two extremes, long-term buy-to-let and short-term property trading or flips. In both cases, any rental income that we might enjoy is subject to income tax, as you might expect. Whilst property trading profits are subject to income tax as well, the profits on the sale of any buy-to-let are actually subject to capital gains tax instead. And this be- could become relevant for some. For example, there is a middle ground situation where we may uh, rent a property even for a short period of time, say 6 to 24 months as an, as an example, and then decide to sell on. Here the key difference is that any profit on sale would then be subject to capital gains tax and not income tax as with property trading or flips. So under certain circumstances or certain conditions, if our total gain comprises more in terms of the capital gain than rental income, then the decision to incorporate can then become a little bit more marginal. Where we've accumulated tax losses is the next point. And if we've been acquiring properties regularly and consistently and, and then refurbishing, refurbishing them to bring them back into a decent condition, it's possible that whilst our monthly rental income is cash flow positive, that our annual tax bill shows a loss position instead. And this is due to large upfront costs which are being offset against the rental income profits which come in over time. Over time, these losses can add up to to such an extent that it could take several years of profits, even under the new system, before a tax payment actually becomes due. And of course, if we switch to a limited company structure, unless we can get incorporation relief, we're going to lose some of those tax losses as well. Next, when the property is already or can indeed be converted into a furnished holiday let. Now, this is a particular class of property that is let for short periods of time. It's typically 30 days or less and can, can under circumsta- uh, circumstances be classed as a, a furnished holiday let instead. The relevance of this is that furnished holiday lets and similar property types or property rental types of business can still claim the full mortgage interest relief deduction as before. So in other words, they're not affected by this Clause 24 that I've been talking about. It sounds kind of bizarre, but it's true. So there is a bit of a mushrooming of holiday lets, short-term rentals, and indeed serviced accommodation, which are all effectively the same thing from a tax point of view. And so therefore, they may receive different, or in other words, better tax treatment rather than a standard buy-to-let. Next, when tax savings generate another tax bill instead. So if we already own a property and then intend to transfer it into a limited company, it's recorded as an entirely new transaction, just the same as any sale would be. The implication of this is that this will trigger two potential taxes to pay. Stamp duty on the purchase by the company and capital gains tax on the sale profits by the individual transferring in. These taxes need to be paid at the time of sale or transfer and cannot be deferred. So the the cash needs to be available to fund the tax payments arising. And this may have the effect of trapping some some people and uh, particularly those that may have refinanced their property well above the original purchase price. Next, when the compliance and non-tax costs of incorporation simply don't add up. In a similar way to the tax point we we made just now, there are other one-off and indeed recurring costs that usually result from incorporation. And these can include finance and broker charges on a new mortgage, 
early redemption mortgage penalties if we have to ex exit an old mortgage personally, conveyancing fees, i.e. legal fees, annual company accounts and returns production, and so on. So in other words, there's going to be a whole heap of other costs that we need to factor in. Next, when the increased finance interest offsets the, offsets rather the tax saving. Once again, all is not as straightforward as it may seem, as company buy-to-let mortgages are often more expensive than the buy-to-let equivalents, personal buy-to-let equivalents, more often than not, that is. And this can mean that we end up paying more in interest, which could offset some of the apparent tax saving from switching. Whilst the lending market is starting to wake up, there is far less company products available at the moment when compared certainly to individual buy-to-let ones. And finally, as I've called it, it's not over yet. <laughs> it's the reference to the fact that whilst the Finance Bill 2016 and indeed Clause 24 is, uh, is already law, there is a legal challenge calling for a judicial review which is underway. Essentially, this review claims that uh, Clause 24 is anti-competitive and therefore discriminatory, discriminatory rather, if I can say it right, as it only targets a certain type of business owner, i.e. those who invest personally rather than through a limited company. The recent UK vote to leave the EU may actually end up scuppering this legal challenge to some extent, as it's based on, uh, it's based on European law, or rather some of it's based on European law. However, it still remains to be seen whether any new Prime Minister and potential Chancellor still see the need for this in the, in the climate of Brexit, where the need to stimulate investment into the UK and indeed the housing market may still be required or even desirable. So there we go. Many of these, uh, this list of 10 different uh, situations could apply to existing property investors. Some may also apply to new or would-be property investors as well. So it's worth considering all of these potential factors before making any firm decision. And that is part of the reason why we have yet to see a massive uptake in the investing through limited company, despite the impending tax changes and all the talk about it. And uh, things may yet change, as they often do. Equally, things may not change at all. And so a review of our own situation every six to 12 months is, is a good idea, particularly of late. So there we have it, and uh, another another situation in property that brings about a level of complexity, let's say, for us to consider. It does always seem to get complex, doesn't it? But as a parallel, it's, uh, it's often said that many of the large monopolistic companies, such as the mobile phone operators and the utility companies, adopt what is called confusion marketing. And this is where the range of offers, price structures, bundles, contract lengths and termination provisions is so complicated and different from one another that the average consumer just sticks with the current provider as that's the line of least resistance. Well, similarly, perhaps, the government, maybe aided by the lenders to some extent, are bringing about a bit of confusion marketing in terms of buy-to-let tax planning, with the possible result that we'll either do nothing and end up paying more tax, or alternatively, not bother to invest in property at all. And it strikes me that we will see both of these potential outcomes over the coming years. Yet that not need be the case I, uh, you and I, for you and I, dear listener, because uh, we can educate ourselves and we can take control of our property, in de uh, property investing destiny, can't we? Sure we can. So stick around and uh, I'll do my best to shed light onto the situation as it evolves over time as well. So on that promise then, let's leave that one there for now, shall we? So in conclusion, please please don't forget to uh, complete our survey, will you? I've, uh, 
I've supplied the, the links uh, in the in the show notes, but I have seen your uh, completed surveys trickling through each week. I haven't necessarily responded to each of you personally where you've left your contact details, but thank you very much if you have done. Uh, I would do in plan to drop you a line if you've left your contact details on there, and I much appreciate that. As I say, the links are, the link is in the show notes, or if you want, you can just email me podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and then I'll happily supply you a link to the uh, survey uh, by return instead. But right now, though, all that remains for me to say once again is thank you very much for joining me on the show today, and until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.